Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored by BookRite's newsletters. Did you know BookRite has over 25 newsletters covering every genre as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world every day. And don't miss our newest newsletter, Our Queerest Shelves, which will deliver LGBTQ plus news and recommendations straight to your inbox. We've also got newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA lovers, mystery, thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for the newsletters that are most interesting to you. That's bookriot.com slash newsletters. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 100 and we're recording on March 18th. I'm Sharifa Williams and I'm here with Jen Northington. And we're coming to you from Book Riot. So because we are on our 100th episode and it's a big celebratory day, we are indulging a little by talking about some of our favorite heroes and villains, which is always a fun time. I Hooray! Think. Yay! We did it! 100 we episodes! Happy 100th, <laughs> Jen. This is very exciting. Uh, it's bananas. It's very, it is, it's very exciting. And I'm excited about today's topic. This is going to be super fun. Yeah, I had to really think about it because, you know, sometimes when we're talking about our favorites with some, especially with something like heroes and villains, like, of course, my tendency is to want to talk about books I've talked about a ton of times. Mm-hmm. So I had to really think about how I wanted to do this and what types of heroes and villains I wanted to choose. So it was kind of a fun exercise. Yeah, I came up with this whole like system because of course I did. Of course. <laughs> I was about to say, does it have a spreadsheet? It, <laughs> it almost had a spreadsheet. It almost <laughs> did. <laughs> because, you know, obviously, like you said, our and my instinct is to pick heroes and villains from my childhood, but it's like, no, no, yeah. like like it can't always be Frodo, right? It has to be. I know. It has to be somebody other than Frodo. So I, yeah, I developed this whole system that I will explain in depth as we get into the discussion. So yeah, we're not even doing news today. Like we wanted to give ourselves as much room as possible to mm-hmm. nerd out about heroes and villains. And that's what we're going to do. Yeah, I'm excited. I cannot yeah. wait. Uh, But before we do that, let's talk about one of our sponsors, which is Yen Press for Yokohama Station SF by Yuba Isukari. All Hiroto has ever known is life on a tiny coastal speck of Japan. Much of the country has been swallowed by Yokohama Station, a mysterious, ever-growing series of buildings that's been around for as long as anyone can remember. Those who live outside its many entrances have never seen inside and know only the legends of the station's interior. That all changes when Hiroto is given an 18 ticket, an item that lets him enter the complex for five days. Hiroto has always sought a purpose, but the one he finds may not be the sort he'd hoped for. So this is an adaptation. Author Yuba Isukari won the first Kakuyomu Web Novel Award in science fiction category for Yokohama Station SF. And following its success, it was adapted into a manga series in Japan. Uh, and this is going to appeal to fans of classic Western science fiction along the lines of works by Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, and Rod Serling. You know we love a Twilight Zone reference mm-hmm. always and forever. And I do love like mysterious all-encompassing buildings and inside versus outside stories. So I'm super interested in this. And if it sounds like your jam, again, that is Yokohama Station SF by Yuba Isukari from Yen Press. 
Look at this. We didn't even have to wait too long to hear about your amazing <laughs> system for choosing <laughs> your heroes. Yeah. And yeah. So, all right. So... <laughs> <laughs> here's it's so hard right to pick like because we we gave ourselves the restriction that we could pick two each um yeah. which i'm definitely cheating on later <laughs> but i tried and i was like how on earth do i narrow this down and then i started thinking about like well what makes a hero a hero right like what makes a good hero both yeah. to me personally and in the genre and i was thinking about how there's like a lot of different, I mean, there's probably, maybe not a lot, but there's several different sort of types of hero tropes. But the two that I feel like I see the most often and are most interesting to me are the reluctant hero mm. and then the, like, sort of oblivious hero. Like, the reluctant hero is, like, dragged kicking and screaming into the plot line, right? It's Frodo and Bilbo. They're like, oh, I don't want to do this. Like, this is not my jam. Like, I'm not here yeah. for this, but they just have to keep going because of circumstances. And then there's sort of the oblivious hero who's like, I'm here to kick ass and take names. And like, I'm just going to do me and like ends up, you know, sort of stumbling into circumstances that... Uh, take advantage of that courage and fearlessness and definitely present them with problems along the way, but they're like very willing to dive in, right? Yeah. So those are sort of the two categories of heroes that I was like, all right, let me narrow it down to those two categories and then I'll pick from there. And I did try to stick with more recent favorites uh, because, yeah, again, it's so easy to revert to my childhood favorites. Yep. <laughs> but so so for my reluctant hero favorite it it kind of has to be Murderbot from the Murderbot Yay. Diaries series by Martha <laughs> Wells. I love Murderbot so, so much. Uh, so the first novella in that series is All Systems Red. And this is an interesting series, especially because we were just talking about novelettes in short form. It is both novellas and novels, this series, which is fascinating mm -hmm. to me. I love that. And it stars a sentient droid uh, who calls themselves Murderbot. That's the name that they have given to themselves. They are technically a security droid, uh, but it's um, it's it's more it's more than that. And all it really wants to do is be left alone to watch. It's like its stories. Like it loves. It's like the the sci fi version of Netflix. Like it just wants to watch its dramas and not mm -hmm. have to deal with these humans and their feelings and their weird expectations and like all of this human nonsense. But you know. Inevitably, of course, Murderbot has to deal with humans and even like forms attachments, oh no, to some of them. <laughs> and, you know, finds itself like in these situations where all it really wants to do is be left alone, but it can't because reasons, right? Capital R reasons. And so watching Murderbot's evolution from the first novella in which, you know, really all they're trying to do is stay under the radar. Like, it just doesn't want anybody to find out that it has independent will, for example. It's not supposed to. And it just is trying to, like, you know, stay low, do the job, get out, watch some stories. And that, of course, doesn't happen. And each progressive book builds on how do you function as a droid in a human world when you could be considered property, for example, but some and some people attach feelings to you that you do not reciprocate or don't want. And then sometimes you as a droid develop feelings that you have no desire to have. Uh, and how does loyalty work in these situations? And it's so interesting, like the interpersonal dynamics in the Murderbot Diaries are so good. And then on top of that, they're page-turnery sci-fi. Like, there's explosions and conspiracies and murders and kidnappings and, like, all kinds of really intense space travel. And I just love how Wells has built out this world and this character. Uh, there's another book coming out in this series this year, and I'm so excited to dig into it because I just, I just can't get enough of Murderbot. Like, Murderbot... <laughs> Is the hero I need right now. <laughs> so, so again, that has been my ode to Murderbot from the Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells. That's such a perfect pick. Murderbot is such a, you know, is not a traditional, typical 
hero and mm. i think those unconventional heroes are just so much fun and i love yeah. seeing that uh well my of course in true form for myself as well i also had a system but it was very <laughs> abstract and messy and definitely did not involve spreadsheets uh but i also went for more recent heroes and villains just because that was the thing that would keep me out of my like standards to mm -hmm. constantly recommend the same <laughs> books also from my childhood and also that you know i i was following when i was uh new to the science fiction and fantasy genre because of course those heroes and villains and characters and stories speak to you and imprint mm -hmm. on you but uh so i chose a hero, my first one is June from In the Quick by Kate Hope Day, which is a super, super recent read of mine. It just came out this year, this quarter, actually. And this also rung my bells because June is the sort of hero I think I tend to gravitate toward in general. So she represents the sort of heroism I tend to look for, which is this like sort of gregarious uh, shall i say nerdy hero because <laughs> june is definitely a nerd um she actually kind of reminded me of beth Harmon from the queen's gambit which is i know it's a character that is very popular right now and a character that speaks to a lot of people for whatever reason but in terms of like that gregarious eternal pursuit of knowledge that is that is june so june is um the protagonist from in the quick which is this story about a space mission gone awry and a space crew that goes missing because June's super brilliant uncle who created or designed these fuel cells that powered this mission died before he could figure out um, that, that there was a problem with the fuel cells. And so when June realizes that the disappearance of this crew might be related to her uncle's fuel cells, her also being a brilliant person, even at a very, very young age, decides that she needs to figure out what happened. Um, her uncle's passed away and she needs to solve this mystery. And she's also in the same way Beth Harmon kind of is. She's she doesn't have a mother or father. And so she lives with her uncle and aunt. And so she has this kind of challenging upbringing where her uncle really gets her, but then her aunt really does not. So she has to figure it out at this academy, and she gets enlisted into this space mission and goes on this really heroic journey, but she's not like this, this typical hero in that she is really intellectual but doesn't have a lot of social skills and so it's difficult for her to engage with the rest of the crew and in order for her to solve this mystery she's going to have to do some of that social engagement you know and so june ends up making a connection with her uncle's former protege and together they have to solve this mystery in space and <laughs> i just love the way june goes about her life it's not it's not it doesn't like I can't relate to it in terms of like I would definitely be this kind of hero but I just really like the the sort of intellectual heroic quest that also takes you to some really strange places especially when you're this sort of um kind of under like an underdog. She's mm. a bit of an underdog. Even though she's really, everybody sees her genius, she's still this underdog character who doesn't seem to fit in anywhere. So I just loved everything about June and her as a character was what kept me going through this story because it is kind of a slow burn in that it takes a while before you even get to space. 
And it's a lot about her development as a person and as a mechanical inventor, which is also super fascinating, having like an inventor as a hero. Mm. Uh, But yeah, I love this story. And I really love June. And again, that was from In the Quick by Kate Hope Day. You and Liberty both love that book so much. I I keep meaning to bump it up on my TBR. I need to get to it. Yeah, it's really it's really good. It's very quiet, but very there's just something about it. I I know people compare it to The Martian. Hmm. And I would I understand where that comes from, but I don't know. I guess I kind of find it more interesting than The Martian. <laughs> so, it's yeah. not just about growing potatoes on Mars. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, no shade to the Martian. Uh, All right. (laughs) So let's see. All right. So my next hero, my next hero, I talked a little bit about the sort of like oblivious, fearless type hero. And that is absolutely what my next heroine is. It's Brunella from Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, who I adore and who I aspire to be more like. I think, (laughs) you know... Murderbot is extremely relatable to me, except for the part where I'm not like a security droid and I don't have, you know, gun emplacements in my hands and I'm not, uh, you know, powered in the ways that Murderbot is powered. Uh, But like I get Murderbot and it's not that I don't get Prunella. I just know that like she's so she's so amazing. Okay, like let's talk about Prunella. So Prunella in Sorcerer to the Crown is the uh, sort of foil to Zachariah's wife. Both live in a sort of Victorian Britain in which, or is it Regency? Anyway, it's oldie time Britain. Yeah. Uh, and Zagreus' wife uh, was enslaved and was freed by, and freed and adopted by a prominent magician because of his own innate magical powers. And now he's grown and has just like taken over an important position in the, uh, you know, royal society of unnatural philosophers. And a lot of them are stodgy old white men who are like not super on board with a black magician being so prominent in their circles. So he's dealing with that. And he's also dealing with a shortage of magic in the kingdom and is trying to figure out what's going on there. And as part of his, you know, quest to figure that out, he meets Prunella, who is sort of like a she's not a teacher she's like an aide in a school for girls and she has huge magical abilities and doesn't really care that women are not supposed to be practicing magic she's also biracial and has dealt with you know the issues around that but she sort of just kind of refuses to let anything dampen her. It's not that she doesn't have flaws or vulnerabilities or that she doesn't feel the pressures around her. She just barrels forward. Like, she is like an unstoppable (laughs) force. And she's so confident. And she's so sort of like dismissive of all of the reasons why people are like, you should not do X, Y, and Z, whether it's, you know, practice magic or like go off and have adventures in fairyland or whatever the thing is. She's just like, well, that's nice that you think that. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And I admire that so much because I don't have a lot of that in myself. It's something I've learned to do more is to not bow to outside pressures. I find Mm. it extremely difficult. And so when I say I aspire to be more like Prunella, it's that I aspire to that level of like, yeah, I know why you don't want me to do this. I'm going to do it anyway because I believe that it's right. It's what's right for me. Or like it sounds like fun even, you know. So and she's so joyous and she's such an amazing presence in this book. And I just find her delightful and impossible not to root for and admire that like strength of character that force of will it's just amazing it's amazing and yeah she's like a bright spot in this book when I think of it I I love so many of the characters in this series Um, I also really loved the follow-up to this book which kind of does stand alone Uh, but Mm -hmm. it's anyway I, I just love the whole series but Prunella is like when I think about this series, she's the first person I think of because of her force of character and, you know, the way that she approaches the problems that present themselves to her and, like, 
it's just she's just so much fun. And and yeah, and I, I think that, you know, there are heroes who are like overpowered to a certain extent. So nothing actually feels like a struggle to them. And that's not how Prunella is to me. I think it's pretty clear that like there are big forces against her. And it is the fact that she is so confident in herself and her own judgment, which occasionally leads her astray. There's no doubt. Um, But, you know, it it is that that makes her such a compelling heroine to me. Uh, So again, that is Prunella from Sorcerer to the Crown by Zencho. I also do not have anything close to the chaotic streak Prunella. Yes. <laughs> she is extremely chaotic good. It's yes. true. Yeah, but I, I also appreciate that in her. Well, I wanted to, I really love a heroic duo. Mm. And so that's why my next pick is Jam and Pet from Pet by Akweki Amezi. It is... First of all, this book is just such a good book. It's YA fantasy, and it's just like, it's a bit of a hug. Like, it's such a, in so many ways, it's such a comforting, sweet book featuring some really sweet and lovable characters, even though at its core, there's this mystery. There are a lot of mysteries on this. It's this mystery that that does not have a super light and happy tone but pet and jam are such great characters they're very unlikely as a duo which is again something i really really love because jam is this cinnamon roll of a character she's a young girl um she's trans and in this story she is not that is not her struggle which is a huge relief and a wonderful thing to have in a story featuring a trans character and she has a very loving family and she also has this curious streak that gets her into a little bit of trouble but also unleashes her heroic teammate uh pet who is the name of you know the titular character and pet whereas jam is this petite young girl pet is this sort of fearsome looking entity made of like feathers and paint who you would think of on the surface as being a monster but pet is the one who kind of compels jam to find the heroism in her to pursue a solution to this mystery that's creating a lot of trouble in this community that's built on the understanding that everybody was saved from terrible forces. And the terrible forces are insinuated as being kind of what we deal with in our reality on a daily basis, like, you know, racism and, you know, terrible people, people who are viewed as actual monsters. And so Jam is in this community where it feels like everything is okay. They've been told that everything is fine. Everything is happy. They live in this very utopian town. And so It's difficult for Jam to come to this place where she feels like there's purpose in the pursuit of solving this mystery and of acknowledging that everything is not okay. There are still bad people in the world and that she is the one who has to find them out and who has to save her town and her family and her community from this monster, this unnamed person who's wreaking havoc. And I thought that as a, especially in in books that have, in fantasy that has a sort of mystery element, there's something about the duo or the team solving it together and bringing out the goodness in each other that really tickles me. And I thought that Jam and Pat were such a great team and especially with the content of this story where 
you know, if a young reader is coming across the story and reading about this really terrible thing, um, I think that of all the heroes there could be, Jam and Pet are the ones to kind of bring it to light, to bring the the horrible thing at the heart of this story to light and to not make it feel like, you know, everything is terrible. There is still a lot of good <laughs> in this book and in the world. So I just thought that they were such a lovely, heartwarming, heroic team. And again, that was, I was talking about Jam and Pet from Pet by Aquekia's Emezi. That is another book that has been on my TBR for way too long. I really need to read it. it it's really good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> okay. Well, before we get to our villains, before we turn the tables, I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor, Macmillan Audio. A Desolation Called Peace is the spectacular space opera sequel to Arkady Martin's genre-reinventing, Hugo Award-winning debut, A Memory Called Empire. An alien armada lurks on the edges of Tishkalanli space. No one can communicate with it, no one can destroy it. In a desperate attempt at diplomacy, Mahit and Three Gra- Seagrass have been set the impossible task of making contact with these mysterious invaders. Their failure will guarantee war and millions of deaths. Their success might prevent the Empire's destruction, allowing it to continue its grasping expansion. Or it might lead to something far stranger. So if you love a space opera, which I do and do not read enough of, you should definitely check out a Memory Called Empire, and especially if you follow a lot of you know, Hugo Award winning books and try to pick them all up and read them, which I attempt to do, but never succeed at. So again, uh, that was A Desolation Called Peace by Arkady Martin. Okay, so should we talk about our villains? Let's do it. Did you have a system for this? I... I had a I had more of a struggle I think with villains than I did with heroes because there was one hero heroic villain <laughs> that I kind of wanted to choose but then I was like is that a spoiler mm. so that was the hard part but really once I I got into the idea of figuring out what I enjoyed about villains in the same way as I did with heroes um I was I pretty much knew immediately what I wanted to choose. And both of these are, again, from newer books. But uh, the first one is from a book that isn't as new, but it is the only short story collection I chose. Um, I chose a character from a short story called Through the Flash that was in Friday Black by Nana Kwame Ajebrenya. And the character is Ama, and it's weird. I I was like, should I choose a character from a a short story? Because it feels like there are so many like full stories out there, and when you're choosing specific characters, you know, you you would think that you want a character that has a long narrative Mm. that you have really gotten to know through a full-length book but for whatever reason this particular character kept reappearing in my mind as the perfect choice for this because Ama is such a unique villain in that she's the protagonist of this story where we're in a neighborhood where a disaster has happened, and the di- the disaster is called the Flash, and people are living in this infinite loop. So some people are just re-experiencing the same thing over and over and over again. Their ages never change. If they were, you know, sick the day the Flash happened, they are sick forever, which is horrifying. And Ama is this kid in this town who is forever a 14-year-old girl. And when you meet her, 
it's kind of confusing because you're like going through her daily life. She's, you know, talking about how she goes to visit the next door neighbor in the morning. And you see that there's something unusual happening uh, by the way she describes the interactions she has with her neighbors, with her family. And you're trying to figure out what her relationship is to the way they're reacting. There's a sort of fear they react with, and there's a sense of happiness she feels when they don't react to her in fear. And so you learn pretty quickly that she's known, Ama is known as the knife queen in the neighborhood, and that she has a past in this infinite loop of being not the best person <laughs> to know. So she has, she has a history and she's dealing with that history when we meet her. So she's a villain in that she has done some terrible things and those terrible things have had repercussions and consequences that don't go away so easily. It's not like the infinite loot means that people forget their fear of her. And so while you're realizing that she's this she's been this villainous character, you're seeing that she's really trying hard not to be and to try and make up for the things she did. And you also see that she still understands that there is always a, a potential for her to do harm. Because in this town, there are some people who accumulate abilities. And it seems like the kids are accumulating these abilities and they have this sort of power over the community. And so in Ama's sort of arc of development, she has to come face to face with a former protege of hers who is now this really fearsome, horrifying, violent bully in town. And so she has to, she, it's almost like a reckoning of her own ability to be terrible and a, like a face-to-face -face reckoning with the things she did in her past and coming to terms with that. And I thought that, first of all, this story just by its, like the whole thing, the whole package is just so beautifully told. And it's a short, short story, but every time I read it, like I have such an emotional reaction, especially to the end. It's a really powerful story about just being human and about how easy it is to fall prey to power when we know we have power over people who are weaker than us, uh, just our ability to fall into that and to lean into it, and also about the ability to come up from that, to sort of, you know, reconcile that, acknowledge that it happened, and be better. I just thought this was such a wonderful story and Amo was kind of the perfect character to tell it and to embody that message. So again, that was Amma from um, the short story from Friday Black by Nana Kwame Ajebrenya through The Flash. That makes me think of two things. First of all, it sounds amazing. So three yeah. things. Okay. <laughs> Second of all, I was thinking as I was prepping for this show that it makes me want us to do an anti-heroes show. Oh, yeah. Because that was, a, I was like, is a villain the same thing as an anti-hero? Like, I don't think they are. I don't necessarily. think so I think they can be, but I don't think they have to be. And then I found myself struggling not to pick all of my favorites of those, of which I have many. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, that's a, that's a, that's another show. That's a whole nother show. Yeah, Alma is definitely a cheat in my villainy oh, category. Listen, <laughs> I, you know how I feel about cheating. I'm all for it. <laughs> and and this is this is where I struggle a little bit too because as you said, it's really hard to talk about certain villains without spoilers. Like yeah. it's just hard. Uh so 
I this is where I start cheating a little bit because I'm gonna like squish two into my first answer here because I I can only talk so much about one of them without giving away like huge plot points and even naming them is a bit of a spoiler. But because I am also in that this is an older series, mm-hmm. uh, so I feel like it's 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 it just it just is gonna be this is what it's gonna be y'all. <laughs> If you don't want to hear potential spoilers, maybe skip ahead a little bit, but it's pretty minor spoilers. So, okay. So the first half of my first answer here is (laughs) Melisande from Phaedra's Trilogy by Jacqueline Carey. It's part of the Koshiel's Legacy series. And Melisande I picked because... She is one. I was okay. So, all right. I didn't talk about my system. I'm so like my brain is all over the place here. So, my system for this is like, oh, right. And again, I was able to boil it down to like two specific kind of villains that I really wanted to talk about. One is the super compelling villain where you sort of love to hate them and you're like, oh, I just like, oh, I just can't, I can't get enough of this dynamic. Like, especially when the hero and the villain have a really enmeshed, complicated relationship, those villains are so interesting and compelling to read. Like, you don't necessarily like them, but you love their role, the way that they shape the story. Yeah. And Melisande is absolutely one of those kinds of villains. She is a sociopath. She will do whatever it takes to get what she wants and does not care for a second about the costs. And this series takes place in a sort of oldie time, like extremely oldie time, like uh, medieval, uh, not Europe, but inspired by Europe. And there are magic and gods. And the main character, Phaedra, is a courtesan, which in this society is like a very skilled, high-level, respected role. Um, She's also a spy. (laughs) And there's a lot of politics in this series. It's like, and like international politics, like there are warring countries and different interests and, you know, pretenders to the throne and all of these things. And she finds herself caught up in all of it by dint of her profession and also her training. And uh, so she is, you know, she's constantly trying to figure out like, who's pulling what strings and she's getting, you know, abducted and shipped off to the side so that she doesn't interfere with things and having to work her way back and share her life is constantly in peril. And part of the reason why is Melisande. This is where it's like a little bit of a spoiler, but (laughs) Melisande is only one of the villains in this series. So I feel like it's okay. Uh, But she is so, their relationship is so fraught because they have met and interacted in a way that sort of ties them together, but also makes it so clear that they that like Melisande doesn't care about ultimately doesn't care what anybody else wants or needs. It's just what she can get. And that's the kind of villain who is both scary, uh, but also like you kind of can understand their perspective. You just would never behave this way. Mm. And so it's really sort of fascinating to watch that role unfold and like see how it shapes events and the things around you and like to watch other characters constantly choose not to be that kind of person even if they're not perfect or they're not a hero like to make the choice not to be that is very strong and interesting in terms of character development so like the the gravitational pull i guess of this kind of villain is really fascinating um how do they you know encourage other people to behave in this way how do other people set themselves against them like who cooperates because they're afraid of the consequences like it's a really interesting villain role and I think that Melisande really embodies that role in a fascinating way. Uh, so, so that's my first pick for this. But I, do, I like couldn't talk too much about specifics. Um, so I was like, well, let me like half pick another thing. <laughs> and so, in 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 a different kind of villain role, one that has a gravitational pull, but also that I cannot wait to learn more about. Like we've only just started to understand this villain. My second pick here is the fridge from the Chilling Effect series by Valerie Valdez, which is such a fun, rompy, 
space opera, found family, like just all of the good things. It's full of pop culture references. Like Valerie Valdez is like giving me what I want in the series <laughs> in so many ways. There's like a motley crew of a spaceship and a like sassy, you know, captain and there's romance and just all of these great things uh, in this series. But the fridge is like the space mafia. Like it's this shady organization that is like kind of faceless and that you know it only by the fridge. You know that they have people, but you don't necessarily know who's working for them or what power they have. And they send ultimatums to people. You know, for example, they uh, blackmail Captain Innocente and her crew into performing missions for them because they're holding the captain's sister hostage. And like, she knows that there can only be bad consequences from working with them, but she also doesn't feel like she has a choice. So she has to constantly try to figure out like how to stay true to her own self while still, you know, making sure that her sister is not killed because of her actions. So it's a very, uh, it is a villain that exerts a huge gravitational pull on the other characters, but we just, they're so shadowy. Like we just don't, you know, the series is two books in, we just don't know that much about it. And I get, I mean, I know, it feels like I know from the way the series is developing that we're going to get to know more soon and I cannot wait. So that again is The Fridge from The Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez. The fridge is definitely a shady, shady <laughs> bunch. Like they do not care. No, is a great one. Uh, well, my my last villain is an actual villain. I am not cheating this time. <laughs> Actually, in this story, "The Year of the Witching" by Alexis Henderson, there are a few villains, and my favorite of them the other one i cannot stand truly but the one i like is lilith (laughs) lilith and her brood and this is where i kind of feel like a bit of a horrible person because even though i know lilith and her crew of witches are super violent and terrible and also do not care about you know, who they mess up and they will mow down anybody to keep their woods, which, you know, was a kind of, you know, you, you got to keep your, your trees. <laughs> but I, I really like, I really enjoyed Lilith as a character and, and her whole brood, even though they were super frightening and like the stuff of nightmares, I really like I I don't know if this was obvious before, but I really love a good witch protagonist. Mm. But I kind of, I realized how much I missed the sort of villainous witch character when I picked up this book. And the book has the sort of moodiness as some recent, like, indie horror films, like The Witch, um, where the witches are really not pleasant they are of nature in the way that nature is at some points like a truly brutal force that does not care about your feelings (laughs) and so they know how to wreck things and they've come under threat in all sorts of ways by the town that's depicted in um, the year of the witching. So the story takes place in this fictional town uh, by the name of Bethel. And Bethel has the sort of puritanical feel to it, which is, you know, why there's some villainy happening. There's a lot of repression and oppression going on here. And the witches in the story are really are very much an acknowledged part of Bethel. Like the people in town know about them. They fear them. They do not go into the woods because they know that if they do, there's trouble to be found there in the form of Lilith and, and um, her, her brood. So nobody wants any association with the woods, but the woods are on the border of the town And there have been situations, let's say, in the past that have created this fraught relationship between the people of Bethel and the witches who haven't been seen in a long time. And then at the heart of the story, 
is Emmanuel, who's the daughter of a woman who actually escaped the Darkwood, where Lilith is, and who seems to be cursed in a way by her past, by her legacy, and her mom's history. And so there's this whole story where um, Emmanuel has to have this sort of confrontation with her past and with the Darkwood and her relationship with the Darkwood and Lilith and the witches. And there is this kind of, there's a relationship between Emmanuel and the witches that you can tell is not completely antagonistic. There's almost like a, a bit of a beckoning that Emmanuel feels toward the witches. And so you get this other side of Lilith where, you know, she's trying to speak to Emmanuel in ways that don't involve actual dialogue and the witches speak to her about the wrongs that have been committed but they also in this story again wreak a lot of violence and there's this whole scene they're involved in that is literally a nightmare scene involving the people of the town where it's obvious that it's not like they're picking the good people from the bad people or anything like that it's just like carte blanche get out of our way so i i just loved how lilith and the witches were so creepy and so villainous and just so bad (laughs) (laughs) like i love bad witches i love good witches I love all the witches. So <laughs> again, I was talking about Lilith. That was from The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. Oh, so many books I need to read. I know. Uh, this is a problem. It is a problem. <laughs> all right. So yeah, speaking of I this is the other right flip side of the compelling villain for me is the repulsive villain. Like they're so bad. They're so horrifying. They're so other that it feels mm. like there's no there's there's no like you can't even love to hate them for me. It's like they're just so horrifying that I'm like, ugh, get away from me. Yeah. Like you <laughs> are a night like a an actual nightmare. All I want to do is wake up. Uh and <laughs> so my my pick for the most nightmarish villain I can remember reading about recently is The Enemy in The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. That's Enemy with a capital E. And this book is the first in Jemison's New Cities great series. And the premise of this book is that every city has a soul. And there's a moment in a city's sort of time span, if they're around for long enough, where they sort of birth an avatar of that city. But that gives the city more power, and there is an enemy, capital E, who does not want to see that happen. And so the moment of the birthing of this avatar is very fraught uh, and can be interrupted, which will then destroy the soul of the city. So in this first one, New York City is the city we're at. And because it's New York, it doesn't have just Mm -hmm. one avatar. It has five because boroughs (laughs) are a thing. And well, it actually technically has six. but. It is about these people who are like one day just sort of going around being, you know, inhabitants of New York City. And the next they find themselves imbued with powers that they don't understand. They don't know why it's happening. They feel this connection to the city and to other people who they kind of like don't necessarily even want to interact with. I love I mean, the the dynamic between these five borough avatars is amazing. Uh, It's very reluctant in certain cases and very fraught in others for very real reasons. And the thing that they are banded against is the enemy, which is trying to prevent the uh, culmination of the birthing of the city's avatars. And this enemy is, I mean, there's a lot of Lovecraft influences here. It's like creeping 
you know, extra universal, like it comes from another Mm. dimension kind of. And it's like, oh, there's like tentacles in some situations. It's really gross. Uh, (laughs) And it's just so implacable and inhuman, I think, is the key here. Like this is not a human villain. So it doesn't have relatable human parts, I guess, elements. I don't know what word I'm looking for here. But what it yeah. does is exert its influence on humans in the city who then become part of this web of just pure, like straight up pure evil. Like there's no redemption here. And it's so, ugh, it's so intense. Like I have this very visceral reaction to the portrayal of this enemy with it, which I think is extremely intentional. And I also think it's hard to do that well because, you know, Giving nuance and complexity to villains is part of what makes them work in a story. So having a villain that is this horrifying and evil and and making it and sustaining it without it becoming cartoonish is a real feat, I, I, I think. And mm-hmm. I love the way that Jemison did this because it feels not just like a nightmare, but also you can kind of understand how it works and how it came to be and in a way that again is not like human necessarily but it computes it has its own evil internal logic it is also just the most horrifying thing of ever so so yeah so my repulsive villain award goes to the enemy in the city we became by nk jemison Excellent. That <laughs> gave me the chills. Ooh, it just, every time I think about it, I'm grossed out all over again. Uh, I That's a book that's also on my list. So we're, we're about even. Um, yeah, there you go. Well, that was it for our 100th episode. Yay! Yay! So much fun. Thank you all for listening and for hanging around and seeing us through our science fictional and fantastical journey <laughs> uh, <laughs> sff yeah is sound edited by dr baker many thanks to them for making us sound great each and every episode uh you can check out more racks at bookriot.com and find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen we have a lot of them Uh, Thank you so much again for listening, and we hope you'll stick around for another hundred. You can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And if you have a minute, please do review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. You can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? I am mostly on Instagram these days at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And I am on Instagram at Zainab Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to you on episode 101.